there's any kind of magic in this world, it must be in the attempt of understanding someone sharing something. Furthermore, let's supercharge this with positivity because we need it right now. We've got it. It's growing, but we need more of it. We need to keep feeding positivity into this situation. Yes, the tiny impotent hands of tyranny have been smacking us about left, right and centre. They've been getting some good shots in. They've been getting their licks in, no doubt about it. And they have been deploying some real shit heel tactics, the likes of which we haven't seen deployed for quite some time. But we're not just standing there and taking it, we're swinging back. And by we, I mean everybody that is being involved, whether that's on the front lines, physically, in person, protesting, demonstrating, letting your voice be heard, letting your physical presence be seen. Or if you are educating, if you are sharing links, if you are sharing information to certain organisations, if you are making donations to said organisations, if you are talking to people, if you are listening with your ears and your heart, if you are broadening your scope of understanding, if you are opening up your horizon with more empathy than before, then you are included in the we. So let's keep that going. Let's keep that momentum moving. Yeah, we are not out of the woods. We probably haven't even faced our darkest days yet. But if we keep standing up, we keep standing together, we keep moving forward, we keep letting our voices ring out, we keep sharing information, we keep talking, we keep listening, we keep expanding our horizons and our scope, and we keep moving forward with positivity, then yeah, this could be the start of something that changes so much moving forward. In this week's episode, I want to talk to you about something that I love, something that is very near and dear to me. I want to talk to you about a not just a musical group, not just a art collective, but a union that has come together, that has formed this, this presence, this power, which stands against tyranny, which stands against division. This union which speaks openly and honestly with the hopes of reaching those that feel unheard. A partnership in which both sides of the coin come from different parts of town, so to speak, but yet are united on certain fronts that are joined together by certain ideas, ideals and experiences and have opened themselves up to something much wider than just music. I want to talk to you this week about Run the Jewels, the hip-hop duo of Killer Mike and LP. And the reason I'm talking about them with such vigour and such excitement is because this band, without any sense of overinflation, without a drop of hyperbole, have really helped change me, my life, my outlook, my perspective. They are a group, they are a collective, they are a union that really embody the idea of giving power and presence to people that have for so long felt like they've had neither. Plus, they also make fucking great music. I would love to be able to play you some. In fact, I would love to drop in a number of tracks, just even snippets, samples, and talk about why I love those tracks in particular, what they mean to me, um, why I just think they work in the way that they do. 
but due to copyright, I'm not even gonna go near that. I suppose the hidden blessing in that is if you are unfamiliar with the group's music, if you've never heard any RTJ stuff, um, then this is a great opportunity for you to go and do that, and I just absolutely urge you to go and do that, because it's amazing. They, yeah, just, in fact, I mean, I, you know, if you want to pause this right now and come back to it later, I don't even have a problem with that. Do that. In fact, yeah, what are you listening to me for? If you've never heard of Run the Jewels, go check them out, and then come back, and then, I don't know, maybe you'll you'll be more of a convert than me by that point. Outside of my frankly obvious and unwavering love for Run the Jewels, the reason I'm doing a singular episode dedicated to them is as part of a celebration. To celebrate what they've meant to me over the years and to celebrate their return. We've had two new tracks from them recently, the first two tracks off the album, but tomorrow, the 5th of June 2020, the full fourth album drops in its entirety and I cannot wait. Hold up, hold up, hold up. It turns out I don't have to wait. Turns out you don't have to wait. Turns out none of us have to wait because they've released it early. Yeah, as I've been recording this, it turns out they've dropped it. Um, they've done this before. I'm not complaining. I love it. But yeah, I was I was not prepared for this. I was gearing myself up for Friday. But um, I don't need to do that. Neither do you. It is it is out. So, I, I don't know, maybe you want to put this on pause, maybe you want to just come back to this. Uh, if you've never heard them before, um, yeah, I, I don't know, sorry, I'm a little bit flustered and excited, but yeah, it's out, and oh, wow, uh, mm. uh, uh, yeah. <laughs> Furthermore, they've made it available for free, for anyone to get at zero cost. This is something they've done with all of the albums, but it just feels more relevant and special now, because if we ever needed the healing tonic of music... It's probably this year, more than and any, possibly ever. Um, so yeah, you can go get it for free. I'm excited. I don't know what it's going to sound like musically, but lyrically and thematically. I know that there's going to be some funny stuff on there. I know there's going to be some empowering stuff on there. I know there's going to be some deeply personal stuff on there. I know there's going to be some... I've, I've heard snippets, and I know that there's stuff that is extremely relevant to what's going on right now. I know it's going to be a, a fully dimensional RTJ album. I know that much how it's going to sound. I don't know, but I am very much looking forward to it. But in the meantime, before we get to that point, I'm going to talk about how we got to that point. We're going to spin the platter of time all the way back to 92, and briefly, because, you know, no one has time to really go into this in, in a great amount of detail and depth. Although, if you are interested, I urge you to do so. I urge you to dig out the tracks, the records we're going to be talking about along this process. But yeah, we are going to go from 92 and briefly talk about how we got to 2020, album number four, and how at some point in that timeline, on that journey, I found something that made a huge difference to me. Something that genuinely helped reconfigure both my internal processing and my external projection. So before we jump into this, I want to give a huge shout out to Fat Cat Beats. That is who you've just heard. You're going to be hearing some more of their stuff throughout the show. As I said at the top, obviously I would love to have played you some samples of RTJ, but we can't do that. 
So I'm using some royalty-free beats courtesy of Fat Cat Beats. And if you enjoy hip-hop, if you've enjoyed what you've heard there, you enjoy what you hear going on in the episode later on, and if in particular you like 90s hip-hop, then I cannot recommend you check out Fat Cat Beats enough. What I'm going to do is I'm going to throw a link up to their YouTube channel in the show notes for this episode, and you can find the show notes for this episode and the other episodes we've done so far over at our new website, dined-out.com, or dined-out.com. What am I doing? Everyone knows what a hyphen is. Yeah, we have a website. It is still coming together, so, you know, excuse the mess. Um, but yeah, that's basically where the, the shows are going to be posted. Additional material will be there as well. But I am also going to be throwing up a link to Fat Cat Beats in the Facebook group too and on the Twitter. So plenty of options for you to go check out their stuff. And, you know, I'm not going to promise, but as well as the Fat Cat Beats instrumentals, I may, may just throw a little something in there for myself too. As I say, not promising. But that might happen. Anyway, uh, run the jewels. We are going to go all the way back to 1992 and bring it to modern day. I'm going to go through a brief outline of both individual career paths and how they merged and get us to this point in time right now. I say brief because I'm not going to go into too much detail. I don't want to be basically reciting Wikipedia pages. You can do that yourself. If you like the sound of something, then by all means... Go forth and dig deep into it. I am going to be talking about certain songs. Um, I'm going to be mentioning other artists as well. So you may want to get yourself a pen or a pencil handy. Um, you know, if you want to go old school and analog and make a list. In fact, what I will do, I will save you the trouble. I will make a playlist of the songs and artists mentioned. And we'll throw that up in the show notes too. How about that? So I put that pencil down. Put that paper away. I'll do the work for you. How's that sound? Yeah, I thought so. Anyway, let's go back, back to 1992. Okay, so LP, aka El Producto, real name Jamie Molina, Brooklyn born 1975, was the first of the two members to venture into music. In 1992, I believe at the age of 17, when he met DJ and producer Mr. Len, the two of them formed a group called Company Flow. The first single of which, and this is your first song on your playlist, is Juvenile Techniques. Later on, the pair of them were joined by another MC by the name of Big Juss, and that's when sort of Company Flow really came to be a unit. In 96, they released their first EP called Fun Crusher, and in the following year, in 97, they released Fun Crusher Plus, which I can't remember off the top of my head if the Fun Crusher EP was on Raucous Records, but the full-length album Fun Crusher Plus definitely was. In fact, and I may be completely wrong here, so don't take this for fact, but I think Fun Crusher Plus may have been the first, or at least one of the first albums released on Raucous. And the reason I'm bringing up Raucous is because, for those of you who don't know, Rockers Records was like a powerhouse. It was like a stable of just amazing underground hip-hop talent in the 90s. You had groups like Company Flow. You had Black Star. That Black Star album came out on, on Rockers. If you've never heard the, the most Def Talib Kweli collaboration record, Black Star, um, oh, yeah, right, okay, do yourself a favour. Stop this right now. 
pause and come back to this later. I don't care. Pause it. Go listen to that record. Come back. Um, same with Most Def's um, Black on Both Sides record. That was released on Raucous too. And Feral Munch Internal Affairs, I think, was on Raucous as well. Just a real great stable of amazingly gifted MCs with great beat, just great records within hip-hop history were on Raucous. Fun Crusher Plus most definitely included in that list. Um, and, and again, I would recommend you just pause this and go listen to that. In fact, I don't know why you're even listening to this when there's so much history on Raucous that you could be checking out and loving. But, you know, it's up to you. You can you can do that in your own time. You can, oh, whatever. But honestly, just if you like hip-hop and you've never heard of these records, you've never heard of these artists, um, do yourself a solid go check them out. If I were to cherry-pick a single track of Fun Crusher Plus, for me, it's Less Good Sleep. Not only is the production just killer on it, but for me, it's a great example of when people say that there's no emotional depth, there's no truth, there's there's no soul to hip-hop, that it's just, you know, commercialism and sexism. Yeah, there is that. There That has become an aspect of the genre. But there are so many tracks out there that actually run so deep into a person's psyche, into a person's experiences, into a person's trauma, into a person's personal history. And Last Good Sleep, definitely one of those tracks. So after Fun Crusher Plus comes out in 97, uh, the next album is an instrumental record called Little Johnny from the Hospital, which often kind of gets overlooked a little bit, I think, but is really just a great example of like the seeds that would mutate and become signatures for LP's production style. I mean, his production style has moved and evolved and shifted throughout the years, but there are definitely sort of foundations to it. And I think you can hear a number of them on Little Johnny from the Hospital. Stuff like the, the layering of just tracks and, and instrumental parts, the weird, odd sounds that are in there, the science fiction and dystopian influence within his music... It's all within there, especially within the simps in Little Johnny. Um, yeah, it's, it's instrumental, so I don't know if that's going to tip you one way or another, but again, definitely worth checking out. Um, after this record, Company Flow left Raucous through disagreements, of which I'm not entirely sure, and, and honestly, not my business, and, and it's a totally insignificant detail. The, the main point coming out of it is that they left Raucous, and in the event of this LP set up his own label called Definitive Jux or Def Jux for short which in its own right actually became a great platform for underground and unheard hip-hop working with a bunch of really talented people in terms of production and lyricism in terms of lyricism Aesop Rock was on Def Jux that tells you so much if you know who Aesop Rock is if you don't rectify that pretty much as as soon as you can um, but you had a bunch of other people on Def Jux which were just killing it. Del, the Funky Homo Sabian, Cannibal Ox, and I think RJD2 was on Def Jux too. Not entirely sure, but I think he was. Anyway, in its own right, Definitive Jux became a sort of powerhouse for underground hip-hop too. It also became a platform for LP to release his own music, and I imagine it gave him a great deal of creative freedom. He wasn't sort of fighting over semantics, and he could put out exactly what he wanted when he wanted, which he did with Fantastic Damage, his debut solo album in 2002, which is not just a great debut, it's, again, it's just a great example of, of LP's sound maturing, developing, and taking those seeds that I was talking about with Little Johnny from the hospital and developing them 
At this time in 2002, Killer Mike, the other side of Run the Jewels, real name Michael Render, proud citizen of Atlanta, Georgia, had really kind of made his presence known with the verse that he did on Outcasts the Whole World. And at this point had established himself in front of a lot of people as a member of the Dungeon family and as an associate of Outcast. He had been on Stankonia, the breakthrough album that Outcast had, and was uh, on the, the track Snapping and Trapping, which no doubt I've listened to countless times in my youth, but going back to it in, in recent times and just listening to him and his all bad puns intended mic presence right out the gate on that track is incredible. Like, that dude just kicks the door open and lets you know who he is, which is pretty much exactly how I would describe his debut album, Monster came out in 2003 yeah he just kicks open the door establishes his cadence his lyricism establishes his just his attitude and again all bad puns intended his mind presence it's there he's there and he is not afraid to let you know it i'm going to skim through a little bit um the next section and, and just kind of get us up to speed somewhat so the following year 2004 lp releases his second album High Water is a, it's a jazz fusion record, and I'll be honest, I don't really love it. Yeah, there, there are moments in it, and there are definitely bright spots and highlights, one of which is the track that LP does with his dad, jazz pianist Harry Keys, which, by the way, pretty damn awesome name for a jazz pianist. Uh, the track is called The Moon Was Blue, so if you want to hear some of LP's jazz fusion um, and just hear him work with his dad, which is actually admittedly pretty cool, I would check that out. I'll throw that on the list. The Moon Was Blue. Um, the following year, no, 2006, sorry, was the first album in Killer Mike's Pledge Allegiance to the Grind trilogy, which was simply called Pledge Allegiance to the Grind. Um, the following year after that, 2007, you had LP's third album, I'll Sleep When You're Dead, which kind of went back to what he was doing before High Water. Um, I think he described it somewhere down the line as like a psychedelic BDP record, which kind of actually fits when you think about it. Or if you listen to the record, you maybe get that impression too. Um, the following year, 2008, Mike released I Pledge Allegiance to the Grind 2. And then the following year in 2009, he finished the trilogy with Pledge. And for me, at this point, with Pledge in 2009, this is Killer Mike. This is the epitome of him as an artist, as a musician, as a lyricist. Pledge, for me personally, not just his best work, but his most focused, his most unafraid, his most hungry, his most unapologetic work. His lyricism is so strong, so sharp, so abrasive, and so, as I say, just hungry and unafraid. This is a guy that is just going in on topics like he's, he's touched on before in the previous albums, but this is, this is like a mission statement. To me, this is the record that, yeah, it just epitomizes who, who I feel Killer Mike is musically, artistically, creatively, socially. It feels like this is a record made by someone who just has the, the impression they've got nothing left to lose. So I'm just going to go for it. I'm just going to go all in and, and just, just dump so much into the commentary that I'm making on hypocrisy, on division, on brutality within the police system, within systematic failures. It's just... Yeah, if you if in in recent times you've really got behind Killer Mike's messages and you you've kind of have maybe been introduced to him due to his speech in Atlanta, which by the way he just knocked out the part. I mean, of course he would. Anybody that is familiar with with how passionate 
and how invested he is within the issues he talks about. You'd know this already, but he knocked that speech out of the park and he knocks this album out of the park. So if you have just been introduced to him and you are working your way through Run the Jewels, work your way through his bank catalogue too. But yeah, Pledge is, is the album that I think crystallises what Killer Mike is about. And if you just want in a sample of what I mean by this, then check out the tracks That's Life 2 and Burn. They still hold up so well as a great example of his intelligence, the attitude he has and the fire behind Mike's lyricism and his delivery. Because that's the thing, as good as he is as a lyricist, his delivery has proven all the way back in 2003 with his debut. Even with that verse we talked about on Snapping and Trapping, it's it's the same thing. You know, the dude has a delivery that sometimes is like a sucker punch straight to the ear, but that's great. Because it grabs your attention. And then once your attention has been gotten, then you can be reeled in. And artists, musicians can talk to you on a personal level, on a deep level, about real shit. Stuff that matters. I'm from the place where hardcore is beautiful. Skipping forward to 2012, and at this point, both LP and Killer Mike had had successful solo careers. They had put out bodies of work which had gathered an audience, had got people listening, had gained a following, and in terms of reviews, had done pretty well. Um, some albums better than others, but for the most part, they seemed to be pretty well reviewed by critics. But for whatever reason, all of this, and I think it's fair to say, all of this didn't really quite translate commercially speaking. At this point, LP had stepped down from running Def Jux as well. The, the, the label was still selling its archive collection, but it had wound down production and release of new material. Uh, the reason LP stepped down primarily was to just focus on production and his solo work, which is what we got in 2012 with the album Cancer for Cure. An album that was released, I want to say, within about a month of Killer Mike's solo album from that year, R.A.P. Music, which is where the two came together for the first time. I believe, if memory serves me right, it was an executive for either Cartoon Network or specifically Adult Swim, which introduced them to each other. And if I, again, if I remember correctly, uh, L.P. was brought on to do some production work for Killer Mike, the two bonded over several different subjects, one of which being a sort of mutual love for Ice Cube's America's Most Wanted, which is also going on the list, both the album and the title track itself. So, yeah, if you haven't checked that out, do. And you can you can definitely see why that's an influence on LP in terms of the production, the, the Bomb Squad production sounds, that big, ch chunky, ch chunky, nasty sound. Um, yeah, so the two bonded, started working together on Mike's album, R.A.P. Music, which was a breakthrough record for him in a lot of ways, specifically for me. Um, the same with uh, Cancer for Cure, with LP, was a breakthrough album for me. In fact, these were the two albums that introduced me to both of them as individuals. At the time, I was reviewing music, I was doing album reviews for a couple of places, and these were two albums that were being circulated and really critically acclaimed by a lot of places. A lot of people were really high on both of these albums. They came through to me, um, to review for different places. I had never heard of Eva, hadn't heard of Company Flow. At that time, I wasn't aware that Mike had been an affiliate of Outkast. Um, no doubt I'd listened to Snapping and Trapping numerous times, didn't realise it was him. Anyway, these two were breakthrough albums for a lot of people, but for me as well. Um, and 
yeah, it, it's this is the melting pot. After doing the production for R.A.P. Music for Killer Mike, L.P. got Mike to do a verse on Cancer for Cure, and the two just, I guess, went from there. Uh, got on so well creatively um, and personally that they formed Run the Jewels and released the first album in 2013. Now, at the time, I actually wasn't aware. Somehow this slipped by me. I think I was still doing reviews in 2013, but for some reason this just flew under my radar until months after they released it. And as I say, months after was the first time that I even knew they had decided to do a group together. But before we kind of get into that, not to gloss over um, R.A.P. Music and Cancer for Cure, I'm going to throw in two tracks, uh, one from each to add to the list. So from R.A.P. Music, I'm going to throw in Reagan, and you should also check out the music video for that. And for Cancer for Cure, I'm going to throw in Drones over Brooklyn, just because the, the, the beat is bananas. Actually, I'm also going to add another track. I'm going to add uh, Request Denied from Cancer for Cure and from R.A.P. Music, I am going to throw in the um, Willie Burke Sherwood. Just listen to the lyrics of that song, just the, the poignancy and I think the, the the relation to a lot of the issues that are at the forefront of what's happening now are, are in there. Um, just beautiful testament to to a struggle that has been ongoing for so long and, and it's just full of heartbreak and just again it's just so much resonance in that song listen to the lyrics don't just listen to the beat listen to the words find it on genius or wherever uh, else you you may want to find lyrics and just just go through it with the song and and just feel that resonance anyway those are the four songs i, I had to I had to up it to four can't just do one from both of those albums you've got uh, request denied drones over brooklyn you've got um Willie Burke Sherwood, as I just mentioned, and uh, Reagan. Yeah. Just, wow. Yeah. And again, you don't have to go digging these up. I'm going to put these all together and make it really convenient for you. So if you just go to dimed-out.com. I almost forgot what a hyphen was myself then. <laughs> dimed-out.com. Dimed-out.com. Yeah. I'll also throw a link up on the Facebook thing as well. Um. So, yeah, you don't have to go digging them out. They're going to be right there for you. Anyway, back to the topic in hand, getting back on track. 2013, Run the Jewels come together, form this union, this group, and put out their debut album, self-titled debut album. As I said, I didn't know about it for a number of months, but when I did, and I listened to it, it just really unlocked something. Um, First and foremost, just the partnership of these two together, uh, vocally, and in terms of, of the spirit that they bring to the music, is it just fits, it just clicks. You can tell when someone has chemistry straight away, and that was obvious on first listen. At the time when I came across that album, I was working the night shift at a gas station, at a petrol station, at a service station uh, garage. And... It, <laughs> Yeah, it was a soul-sucking job in many aspects, but one good aspect of it was that I was on my own, I had no supervisor, and I basically had control of the music that was played inside. So I would burn CDs, yum, keeping it relatively old school, um, because that's all they had. They had a CD drawer and an AV system of sorts. I would burn CDs and play whatever music I wanted throughout the night. That was a definitive perk. And one album that got bumped the most was definitely Run The Jewels, self-titled. 
And I think one of the things, if no, the thing that, that really, outside of the production, the thing that really jumped out of the music to me about that group and about that union and the synergy and the chemistry they had was just the energy. It was over the top. It was a sort of swagger and a bravado that was dialed all the way up to 12 in terms of animated silliness. Um, it was hilarious. It was just full of weird and wonderful imagery. Um, but it was also full of sincerity. And it was just full of, again, kind of like what Pledge was for Killer Mike individually. This felt like it was a mission statement for both of them. Like they had tried their best for years and they had put all of their self, all of their essence into the craft that they had done. They had grafted so hard for years and they were at a point now where they just kind of had reached... Uh, a, a sort of apex in their careers and were just it was no holes barred and even though I didn't know this at the point I didn't know about their trajectories their individual paths about their struggles about the the, the way in which they had reached this point you could feel it you could just you could just feel it through the energy or through the vibe as the kids would say it just came out clear as crystal that these were two guys that were just not playing around anymore. They were here to just kick down doors and make themselves heard. And that was just so empowering, especially to somebody who at the time was just really lost in depression and just had no focus, no direction in their life. For somebody that was just working a dead-end job that they hated and just felt like just so isolated from everything and whose self-esteem was in the gutter to hear that raw energy that raw confidence and to see it so focused it was genuinely inspiring i mean at this point in time i was i was at my heaviest i hadn't started my progression i hadn't started my journey um in, in getting my mind right my body right but here was something that kind of would later on maybe not in the immediacy not in that moment right there and then but the following year, for sure, it would fuel something in me, something that just pushed me to, to make myself better. So, moving on to 2014 and the second album drops, RTJ2. And at this stage, I'm all in. I'm fully immersed. I, I love this group. I love the music. I love the energy. I love the spirit. I love the camaraderie. It's, this, is, this is for me. I'm completely invested in this. Um, the first album helped me get through some really long, lonely, depressing, soul-sucking nights in a dead-end job I hated. But it did more than that. It kind of began to help me reassess what I can do, what I'm capable of. It began to slowly drip feed into me a sense of belief. It began to sort of raise up my own self-esteem. That was with the first album. Second album grabbed my self-esteem by the hair and pulled it up screaming and made me realise what I can do. At this point, I had been given my prognosis of having diabetes type 2. I was at my heaviest, and I had also made the cognitive decision to change that, to, as I say, get myself right and make myself better. So I had started my journey just, pretty much had just started it when the second album dropped. And having known all the tracks to the first album, had loved all the tracks to the first album, this was a whole new arsenal of sonic weaponry. 
adding both albums and some other stuff into my gym playlist, it encouraged me to keep going, it encouraged me to do more exercise, to gradually build up my exercise and to push forward with the positive changes I'd made in my life, to keep moving forward with the dietary adaptations I'd made and just lifestyle choices. It just it pushed me forward, it gave me musical fuel, especially in the gym, it gave me musical fuel to just keep going, to push that little bit further, to spend that extra 10 minutes, to try that, to push myself further than I'd been before. I cannot, I cannot underestimate how important both of those albums were in terms of listening and consuming, as I say, as, as, as fuel to just push me forward in terms of, of actually being physical, doing physical exercise and, and challenging myself and, and wanting to go to the gym because of the feeling that I got from listening to that music, doing that and moving forward. And that's the thing, it's not just that it was fuel for the gym, it was fuel for me, it was fuel for my self-esteem, it made me look at myself in a different light, it made me stop beating myself up as much, which is something I'm still guilty of, but it made me realise that I had worth, because I could feel the confidence, I could feel the self-belief, I could feel like the energy towards things that I also hated, you know, the idea of oppression and division and just sticking up for the underdog and sort of being there for, for the people that don't have voices. It was a punk rock, but in a hip-hop duo. And it was the spark of music that I hadn't had since I first got into punk rock at 17. The feeling of belief that it gave me, the idea that, you know, was instilled in me that I can overcome obstacles and odds that are put forward in front of me and, and that I could move forward with this this long journey that I had just started, it it, it, it just filled me with confidence. It, it just filled me with, with a sense of belief that I honestly hadn't ever really had from a musician before. And I've loved music all my life for various different reasons, just like aesthetically. Uh, emotionally, personally, I've connected with music, but I've never really had music fed into me as if it was like propane into a into a an, a furnace, and that's what it was like. It was like dumping propane into a furnace for self belief. Stepping outside, what it meant for me, the Sagan album was was a move forward in terms of, of their social and and sort of political ideas and messages and beliefs. Uh, on the second album, it really cemented them as kind of outlaws against uh, tyranny, you know, champions of the everyman, um, slayers of bullshit, advocates for equality and progress. This was this was really beginning to open up on album two. It really opened up on album three, um, which came out in 2016. Yeah, with the release of uh, Run the Jewels Free, they'd really cemented themselves as kind of having this sort of outlaw spirit that had been missing from music for a long time. And outside of that, it was getting personal as well. I mean, you listen to a track, and I mean, you should listen to all three albums, but if I have to recommend a track from their entire back catalogue to date, not including four, because obviously I haven't listened to that yet, but if I were to suggest one track, if I was if I was asked for one track... It would be Thursday in the Danger Room. It's it's a sidestep from from the chunky, full on beats, from the dissonance, from the the, the forthright attitudes. It's a sidestep from that. It's a more soulful, in, introspective exploration of grief, and and dealing with death, and keeping those that have passed with you wherever you go. It's genuinely a, a beautiful song, with so much soul to it. Um, 
and yeah this is this is what i mean outside of, of the social stance outside of the bravado the the chemistry the outlaw the overly animated outlaw demeanor it was it was becoming more consolidated it was a lot of things it was it was bangers for people that needed them it was personal messages for people that needed them it was a stance against tyranny for everyone that needed it it was it was just this great multi-dimensional presence that same year in 2016 i was fortunate enough to go see them at Lovebox Festival in London. I purposely went to see them and LCD Sound System. They took top billing in my heart because at that point they'd really cemented a place there. Uh, I mean, I love LCD Sound System, but yeah, I was I was there for RTJ and it really didn't disappoint from from a performance standpoint. It was amazing, but just as a communal feeling too, to be there with other people who got the same energy, the same connection, the same sort of instilled sense of belief uh, that that I had. It was and it through people that you you didn't know, you didn't even have to speak to. You could just feel, you could feel the connectivity there through the music and through what the music's given each and every one of us that was there, um, purposely to see them. It was, I I've been to a number of concerts in my time. Some have been amazing, some have not been. This was something else because there was so much personal attachment to it, and yeah, I I, I think of that day still fondly. Um, just just being there, experiencing the music that had really pushed me forward, that had really kind of made me reevaluate my own worth, what I can do, what I can be, and to to share that in a silent but yet voluminous way with people I'd never met who also felt that way. Just yeah, just a very sort of powerful and poignant moment to see those guys live. It is really quite hard to articulate and put into the appropriate words to to accurately describe something that is stemming more from feeling than it is anything that is maybe tangible or theoretical. But yeah, if if you've ever had a band or something, a book, a movie, uh, a play, a painting, something that you've just not only connected with but felt has molded you in some way that you you might understand hopefully you do hopefully you have something like that in your life and and if not hopefully you find it soon because it can make a huge difference actually no let me adjust that it, it does make a huge difference because to be seen and to be heard is just what we all want right as human beings that, that's what we want that's that's the goal is to be seen and to be heard as who we are and through the music of two people uh, I had just recently discovered as individual artists, I, I felt that. I felt seen, I felt heard, and I felt empowered. You know, at this point in my life, um, Run The Jewels, they're not just a favourite band. They're not even just a motivational power source anymore. For me, they really are a touchstone of personal resonance. But I think more importantly than that, they are a consistent catalyst for personal change. They've not only helped me reassess and reconfigure, as I said at the top of the show, my internal processing, how I view myself, how I view what I can do, but it's really branched off into the external projection of those thoughts. It's made me do things, it's made me change my behaviours, it's made me think about what I'm doing, what I'm taking in, what I'm reading, 
the way I'm treating people, you know, it's, it's been nothing but a huge benefit having those two guys in my life vicariously through music, um, yeah, I, this is, this is just an unfiltered, unashamed love letter, but I don't care, because I, I, I've just had so much love for them for the past seven years, and I don't ever, ever, ever see that going away. Mike, please, just for a moment, come here. This is for real. Come here. That's my motherfucking brother. So there you go. That pretty much does it for this episode slash love letter. Um, I hope you've enjoyed it. If you're a fan, then you will most definitely have enjoyed the high praise, presumably. I don't know. Maybe it was too much. I don't care. Whatever. Uh, if you've never heard of them, then obviously I urge you to go check them out. But I also urge you to check out the playlist that we've talked about and the stuff that I've added to it as we've gone along. Um, yeah, if you enjoy hip-hop, if you like hip-hop, and you want to dig a little bit deeper, you're unfamiliar with the, the stuff we've been talking about on this episode, then yeah, do broaden your horizons, dig deeper into the genre, because there's so much amazing stuff within it. Um, outside of that, next week's episode, uh, is, and I should also point out that we are going to be doing episodes every Thursday. I have a schedule. I am actually being prepared for a change. So every Thursday, expect a new episode of some degree of different varying lengths on various different things. So, yeah, it's kind of potluck, but it is definitely going to be there each Thursday for you. And next Thursday, I won't be alone. This won't be the only voice you hear, so that'll be a nice rest for you, I'm sure. Uh, yeah, we're going to have our very first guest on the show. It is a friend of mine, someone I've known for quite some time, a man whose cinematic judgment I trust completely and wholeheartedly. We've had disagreements in the past, but still, I trust his cinematic judgment and his knowledge. Man is a font of film knowledge. So we're going to be talking about cinema. We're going to be talking about documentaries. But we're also going to be talking about his trip to Japan and what it was like to immerse himself in different customs, traditions, and what it's like to be an outsider on the other side of the world. So plenty of good stuff. And yeah, our first guest. Hopefully you're going to enjoy it. As I said earlier, we do have a website now, which is dined out. No, hold on. <laughs> it's dimed-out.com. All that trouble with the hyphen, and I forget it at the end. Dimed-out.com. It is a work in progress. It's gradually building. We're going to add more stuff to it outside of the show. Um, so, yeah, kind of maybe bookmark it? I don't know. Is that what people do now still? Anyway, you could do that. Uh, if you haven't yet, we are also available on pretty much most platforms you get podcasts. So whatever platform you use, you can subscribe to the show. That's a huge help. If you've enjoyed what you've heard so far, this episode and the previous ones, and you want to stick around, that's the best way to do it. Subscribe. That way you don't have to do anything. It just comes straight to you. Also, if you are feeling generous, why not give us a rating and a review? That helps massively. So yeah, if you've enjoyed it, you want to give us a little bit of help here, uh, do that. Give me a rating and a review for the show and I will give you my eternal gratitude. How about that for a bartering system? <laughs> anyway, that is it for episode four. I hope you've enjoyed it. Whatever you're doing, if you're out there, if you're inside, whatever's happening, it's crazy, I know. But do me a favour, look after yourself, okay, guys? And look after those around you. And until next week, keep it dimed out. <laughs>